While much valuable Christian literature from prior centuries has been republished in recent years, the particular Baptists have been largely ignored. Yet, their contributions in the areas of biblical exegesis, theology, history, and practical Christian living have much to offer today's church. The particular Baptists have always demonstrated a firm and faithful commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, its proclamation to all the world, and the inspiration, inerrancy, and absolute authority of all of Scripture. We at Particular Baptist Heritage Books desire to champion this God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, word-centered legacy by producing high-quality, handcrafted, hard-cased editions of Particular Baptist works, which we hope will endure for generations to come. Particular Baptist Heritage Books is a nonprofit publishing ministry founded in connection with a local church. With the help from an advisory board consisting of Calvinistic Baptist pastors and scholars, we seek to preserve the history, theology, and relevancy of our particular Baptist forebears by publishing and promoting their most important literary works. Our mission is to glorify God and to strengthen His church by furnishing Christians with the very best of the particular Baptist literary heritage. And so we invite you, come and deepen your Baptist roots at www.particularbaptistbooks.com www.particularbaptistbooks.com Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Inbox on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary have another uh, fun conversation, and this one is related to having theological mentors. And uh, by that, for the purpose of this conversation, it doesn't necessarily have to be this, but at least in my mind, I'm thinking about people who are um, absent from the body and present with the Lord. They have already passed from this life and gone to the next, and uh, their literature has, in a sense, uh, trained and instructed us. So, and they are our dead mentors, even though we, of course, mean that their souls never die, their bodies are dead for now. So, uh, let's preface this conversation, if you would, brothers, by discussing the serious possibility of making men, uh, fallible men, to be idols or objects of hero worship instead of what they can be, uh, theological mentors. So can you speak to this? Well, uh, our Lord's words in Matthew 23.10 has often been paraphrased, you know, call no man master. And of course, he gives there as the reason that he is our master. He is the authority, and we are all brethren. Uh, I think of Peter's words to Cornelius there. You remember after Cornelius had had this uh, direct revelation and calling Peter. When Peter comes with that message that, that uh, uh, God had told Cornelius he would bring, well, he falls down before Peter. And of course, how Peter says, stand up. I myself am also a man. Mm -hmm. And it's been rightly said, uh, the best of men are men at best. Mm -hmm. And it's especially referring to teachers in James 3, 2, having just said not many teachers among you, mm -hmm. it goes on to speak of teachers saying, especially in many things, we all offend. Now, that's not just teachers, obviously, but it does 
underscore that we're very fallible mm -hmm. uh, and therefore yeah, everything has to be taken to the authority, to the word of God. Christ alone is our master. Uh, another passage that speaks, I think, especially to this is 1 Corinthians, about the first four chapters. You know, there was this inordinate attachment to teachers that is there condemned. It seems it was a spillover from their own past by way of, uh, you know, the Corinthians having this uh, high esteem for different schools of philosophy or the philosophers themselves. And they'd fallen into that with regard to, well, I'm a Paul, I'm a Peter, I'm a Paulus, etc. And of course, Paul's showing, no, wait a minute, it's all the same message. It's God's truth. It's the gospel. But he is underscoring throughout that we don't glory in men. In fact, God's very dealings with us, not many mighty, not many noble. Uh, it's so that no flesh should glory in his presence, that him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's of him that we're in Christ. So in, in all of that, it means we need to see uh, human teachers uh, not as the, uh, the the big thing going on, not as if they're some philosopher or guru or whatever, uh, but rather that they're simply instruments of God, and ultimately we must treat them as that, especially since they have this treasure in earthen vessels and has been rightly said by others, and some of those vessels are cracked. So um, that would be at least some things that should arrest hero worship. I'm sure much more can be said. And so, Joe, I hand that over to you. Um, thank you, Lee. Uh, thank you for your comments. And uh, I'm glad we're taking up this question. And, and uh, Brother Austin, uh, while you may be in your mind thinking primarily of men who have lived previously, who are now gone, Certainly, we should not uh, idolize them in any way, and it's easy to do it. Uh, I, lo I love Charles Spurgeon. You know, I, I have ever since I was a young minister. I recall reading an article somewhere, and the title of it uh, recently was uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon was wrong on this, and immediately it was as if I was getting offended that the guy would suggest that Charles Spurgeon was wrong on something. And then I correct myself. Of course, Charles Spurgeon was wrong because, as our brother Lee's already commented, in many things we all offend, and that includes that includes my dead heroes. But you know, I, if I could just uh, deviate from the idea of uh, dead hero worship, what about live hero worship? Hmm. I really fear that uh, in our day, and even among good, sound, reformed men. Uh, <clears throat> Hero worship and idolatry are more than just possibilities. You know, I'm thankful that there are great men of God in our day. They didn't all live in the past. There are great men of God who are living today, and we should be thankful for them, and we should respect them and admire them and pray for them, and we should learn from them, and we should imitate them to a point. But there are no men. And I could name names here, but I'm not going to. There are no men worthy of worship. Hmm. There are no men whom we should make such heroes that we actually sin. We may be setting them up for pride. We may be setting them up for a fall. Uh, you know, when I'm on Twitter, I never say anything on there, almost never. But I like reading. I like reading Twitter. And sometimes uh, uh, somebody will come up with a question. They may be innocent. They'll say, who's the greatest preacher today? I don't participate in such surveys because we don't possibly know 
who the greatest preacher is today. Or, you know, name your five favorite preachers and lots of questions that we're not even qualified to answer. And, and sadly, I think it's, it's indicative that many of our young preachers are, are drifting towards hero worship in an unhealthy way. They're perhaps thinking more highly of men than they ought to. And Paul said, I don't want you to think, even Paul, the apostle said, I don't want you to think more highly of me than you ought to. And, but some, some, uh, Young preachers, they get a hero. I've seen this happen, and it's, sometimes it's even humorous. When you see somebody and you can tell who their favorite preacher is because they imitate them. <laughs> and lots of times when they imitate, they sound just like them. <laughs> and when they do, they lots of times imitate the wrong things. They imitate the, uh, I remember uh, hearing of Rolf Barnard, a preacher in many days gone by. Every young preacher wanted to be like Rolf Barnard. Uh, Lee, you may know who he was, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Rolf Barnard said, the problem is these guys want to imitate me and they're all imitating the worst things about me. Um, it, it's And I want to say this, it's not often the fault of the idolized minister or that's uh, causing it. He may be like John the Baptist, you know, look, I'm not worthy of all this uh, attention you've given me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. Um, and he tried to deflect any honor that men would give to him onto the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not blaming the, the preachers. Sometimes it's just starry-eyed admirers. Uh, and like I said, I could name men, men that I love, men that I profit from, men that I uh, uh, gain greatly from reading or listening to their sermons. But I'll just say this to young uh, ministerial aspirants out there. Uh, ministerial hero worship is fraught with perils to both the hero and to the worshiper. Because every man, if the Apostle Paul says, I'm in danger of being exalted above measure, hmm. and so that that wouldn't happen, God gave to me a thorn in the flesh. Don't set a man up for sin especially the sin of pride, by giving him undue adulation. Respect and honor where it is due, but don't go any further than that. That's my thoughts on the first, first question. Thank you guys for your prefacing comments to our topic of theological mentors. But uh, with that preface out of the way now, do you think that there are Benefits to having a dead theological mentor or uh, someone in church history that you often are consulting to learn scripture or um, system, systematic theology better. And um, as Pastor Joe's opened it up, it doesn't necessarily have to be dead theological mentors only. Uh, is there benefits to having a living theological mentor? What are your thoughts about this? Well, as to the uh, those who have left this world, you know, sometimes people will speak ill of writers from the past. Well, that's just dead men's brains. Uh, sadly, those who despise Christ's gifts in the past usually trust their own less proven yeah. brains, and that's hardly a, a better source, especially since, as we see repeatedly in Proverbs, about not to lean on our own understanding or the one who trusts in his own uh, understanding is a fool or there's more hope for a fool 
them for such. And then the thought of following the latest trends in preaching and theology, quite honestly, that's not much, if any, better. Uh, there, there is a rightness about being contemporary, about being relevant. Yeah. But, but God's truth from of old is still very, very, very relevant and will be to the end. Uh, fair enough, illustrations or wording or applications may need some updating. But the truths that these forefathers preached are timeless. Mm -hmm. And it's actually good to consult those of previous generations, especially because there are truths that get left out in any given generation. I mean, you think in terms of the Protestant Reformation, or you think in terms of more recent uh, years, well, now decades, uh, about kind of the recovery of the Reformed faith, which had been all but despised in many circles. So uh, looking at writers in the past can be a, a great help. I would wonder if Hebrews 13, 7, doesn't apply here when the writer of Hebrews is telling them to uh, remember those who've had the rule over them, who've spoken the word of God to them. It seems it's talking about their past uh, pastors, but he says, considering the outcome uh, of their conduct, whose faith follow. Well, he's referring to people, it seems, were no longer on the scene, but their ministries were still to have lasting impact. And if that's so, one's own pastor, then what about uh, very capable preachers that God's given in the past. Uh, the Lord Jesus has given many gifts throughout the history of the church, and we are a blessed people in that we've got this richer store than past generations. Proven men, their lives, their insights have earned credibility. They've earned confidence. And all of this is really bound up with the idea of historical theology, uh, how God has uh, revealed his truth and given clearer understanding over time. That's a great help in so many ways. I mean, errors have a way of resurfacing, you know, nothing new under the sun. Well, there's a good chance that whatever current error is out there, it's been addressed in the past. Maybe one of these old writers would be the guys to look to. Uh, or another thing about historical theology, I've heard it well referred to as, as a quality control even in our own thinking, in our own uh, ministries. You know, if after 2,000 years of faithful teachers, I alone have come up with some new insight, yeah, that's more than just cause to say, hold on, something's <laughs> not right here, right? So it's good to consult esteemed men, just to confirm our own understanding of a text or a subject, be it commentaries or especially uh, confessions of faith like our own uh, 1689. And notwithstanding some matters and the old writers that might be dated or perhaps quaint, uh, I, I think most would be agreed that there's a depth of understanding. I think of the Puritans in particular in that era where they gave much thought to a subject matter. Now, we might need to condense or edit uh, out, you know, well, wait a minute, we don't have that uh, kind of time or uh, attention span or whatever to develop this subject at, at such great length. But nonetheless, uh, the substance, the depth, the godly instruction, the rich applications, uh, surely in many ways, they do go beyond what is available typically in so many, not all, but so many modern writers. So yeah, call them dead men's brains if you want. Mm -hmm. but boy, those brains had a lot in them. And I'm not ready to get rid of Christ's gifts in the past nor in the present. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 
with you, uh, Pastor Lee. Um, of course, the, the the whole concept of mentoring is is biblical. You know, whether it's a live mentor or a dead mentor, um, uh, Moses mentored Joshua, and Elijah mentored Elisha, and in the New Testament, uh, Paul mentored uh, Timothy. Uh, those are examples of living mentors, but certainly we should have dead mentors, people who have loved God, who have faithfully served God before us, people who have left us. I'm surrounded in this room I'm, I'm sitting in with uh, many mentors, and, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, they being dead are still speaking to me. And, and it's, it's also biblical that we learn from those who have gone before us. Paul says in Hebrews chapter six that we are to, uh, he urged the Christians to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And uh, uh, he later encourages them concerning, in my opinion, recent deceased mentors, Hebrews 13, seven and eight. I'm sure you'll get to this in about 25 years, brother Lee, as you go through the book of Hebrews. Remember, just covered, just covered it, brother, just did cover it. Last week. Oh, really? Oh, and then you're about done. Remember those who led you, past tense, who spoke, past tense, the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate. Imitate. Don't idolize, but imitate their faith. And I love Peter's last letter where he, he says, I'm trying to stir your minds up by remembrance. And then he says this. I'm going to try to fix it where even after I'm gone, I'll be gone soon, Peter says. I'm going to try to fix it where after I'm gone, I'm still going to be in your head. I'm still going to be stirring up your minds by way of remembrance. So I think there's, uh, as Brother Lee has said, great benefits from learning from such men. I don't know where I would be without my commentaries. I'll be honest with you because of my own uh, limited, um, uh, uh, knowledge. They've been so, so helpful to me. I'm so thankful for them. And as far as dead men's brains, that kind of thinking, uh, a man who despises the great commentators of scripture is a poor man. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have some sheep who are very poorly instructed while past theologians should not be idolized. They are very helpful. And I thank God for them. Amen. Well, who are such uh, theological mentors that you men have? You can either uh, give one example or a number of people or a certain theological tradition that you've benefited from. Uh, do you have such a theological mentor? Well, I have many such mentors from the past, the men who, though being dead, they still speak to me. Um, not only, as I've already mentioned, the uh, many men in my library uh, uh, that uh, surrounds me every time I step into my study. Uh, uh, but I have uh, mentors who, who mentored me in my lifetime who are now gone. I thank God for my father. Didn't agree. I don't agree with all of all of what he taught me, but he did teach me the gospel. He did teach me the doctrines of grace. He gave me good and wise counsel concerning the ministry and other things of life. And uh, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for my father-in-law. He just passed away this past, uh, um, well, last year, within the last year, he just passed away at the age of 93 after walking with God and preaching his word. Um, 
while my dad taught me much about uh, preaching and theology, uh, my father-in-law taught me much about just loving the word of God. I was hmm. looking through some of his notes uh, while I was uh, in visiting with my uh, mother-in-law recently. And, and the thought that came to me is how this man loved the word of God. And you could, uh, you could tell it just by being around him. Uh, so I'm thankful there's two men who are now dead, but yet they have been and still remain mentors to me. But can I say this also? I'm thankful for those who mentored me uh, who are still alive. I'm thankful for my fellow pastors. Um, I thank God for the theological giants of our day. I've already referred to that. And, uh, and I, I, I want to say this too. Uh, I love trying to help young men who are preparing for the ministry. I, I don't feel worthy to even have this spot on this podcast. I've probably said that before. You're probably tired of hearing it. I didn't. John Gill, I think I, I read where when he got a certain doctorate, he said, I neither bought it nor sought it nor thought it. And I can say that about my position on this podcast. I neither bought it nor sought it. And I certainly never thought it. But here I am. And I delight. I delight in interacting with the young ministerial aspirants who are part of our church. And I get to do that with them on a regular basis. I get to be especially a mentor and have that kind of relationship with some of them. And while, I, as I said, I'm unworthy of that, I'm blessed. And uh, I am thankful for this opportunity that I have on the pastor's inbox. And I hope and I pray. I just asked a group of men at a prayer meeting this morning to pray for the pastor's inbox that we'll be able to help young, aspiring ministers of the gospel. The last thing I'm going to say is this on this particular subject. Um, brothers, young aspirants to the ministry, uh, have mentors, dead and living. Do not idolize them. Imitate them as they follow Christ. That's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. But be yourselves. Don't try to be any other minister. God doesn't send out an army of, of clones. He sends out individuals. He sends out jars of clay, earthen vessels. He uses them, warts and all. So you don't have to be like someone else. You be what God has made you. Be the best version of that by the grace of God. And then if and when he uses you, all the glory will go to him. Hmm. Brother Lee, what are your closing thoughts? Well, amen and amen. Uh, to go back to the uh, question about do I have a theological uh, mentor, uh, I can say of those dead men's brains, our uh, beloved brethren from days past that I have enjoyed, I've benefited greatly from a number of them, uh, certain Puritans, especially our, our Thunderreed, as uh, Watson, uh, Manton, Boston. I, these are guys that I find very readable. But I don't always find their, uh, what could you call it, commentaries. They weren't really given so much as commentaries. Manton's, as far as his expositions, consecutive exposition, that would be more of a commentary. But, uh, for instance, you read John Owen on Psalm 130 there in Volume 6, and, and it's rich theology, but you may not come away with a quick grasp on what Psalm 130 is all about. Uh, for commentators that have been mentors to me, uh, I say John Calvin. Mm -hmm. uh, he was so yeah. clear and concise, and, and not only in in uh, the text itself being explained, 
but how he did so with such clarity, that, that's very instructive. Uh, I'm kind of partial to a number of these 19th century men who gave lectures on books. I guess we consider it consecutive exposition. You got Lily on First and Second Peter and First and Second Thessalonians, John Stone on James. There was a whole school of these solid evangelical guys that would show much about expounding scripture, not just on what they said, but even how they went about it. And, and of course, as to a theological mentor, I would have to say that Dr. Lloyd-Jones uh, has had that place in, in my life and, and thinking. At one time, I uh, could say that I'd read everything in print by the good doctor. Well, now that more has been published, so I can't say that. But nonetheless, I, I find him to be a real tonic to my soul, but helpful again, not only in subject matter, but in analyzing how he went about opening the scriptures years ago uh, as a young buck, seeing how he did that, that was to me very, very helpful. But I appreciate too, Joe, uh, what you said about mentors that are living. And I can name two men, especially to which I feel a very strong sense of indebtedness. Uh, one is Dr. Peter Masters, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Uh, he's actually the first Reformed Baptist preacher I'd ever heard live as my wife and I were living just uh, south of London for uh, a time, and we were, able, we were able to attend Metropolitan Tabernacle consistently for about a period of four months there. And, and not only in his preaching, but so much about worship and the, the, the reverence that was there at MetTab. It really did set the tempo in my own thinking. In fact, it's there that my wife and I realized that, hey, this is what we are. We're Reformed Baptists. We didn't know what we were uh, prior to that time. But then uh, a Reformed Baptist in this country, well-known, is, of course, Pastor Albert N. Martin. Uh, I Amen. greatly indebted to, to him for his ministry uh, over the years, listening to cassette tapes way back when the earth was young. And, and again, not only in what he taught, but how he went about it, seeing how he would unpack scripture and, and the applications and so forth. You know, I, and also especially his pastoral theology lectures. I know those are available in, now in book form entitled Pastoral Theology, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. But all 105, don't want to knock anybody out from sales from those volumes, but all 105 lectures are available on MP3 from Sovereign Grace Audio Treasures. That's Sovereign Grace Audio Treasures. And they were very, very formative in my thinking about pastoral labors. And in fact, for my fellow elder, uh, when he first came among us, I recommended that he listen to those. He went through them all at least twice. Uh, so I would say, yeah, those are mentors for me. And I want to take the opportunity to give a plug for Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, especially for young pastors or those who are in training. Uh, let me commend to you, if you've not already taken it, uh, Dr. Waldron's historical theology. Fantastic as far as showing doctrinal development and the men that were used as really being the outworking of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. It's still Christ among his people and using his church. Well, all of these gifts uh, throughout church history and, and seeing that develop. So his historical theology, uh, strongly recommended. But also uh, for young men, the subject of theological mentors is so important, whether it's 
from the past or living mentors still. And quite honestly, having living mentors, Joe, as you yourself had uh, already said, is very important because you can't very well turn to a particular page in a particular book and one of the Puritans or John Calvin might not be easy to trace that down. You know, certain pressing questions, uh, somebody alive that you can go to with these, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's so much about which mentoring is needed, very practical matters, uh, also just by way of, of uh, uh, having a relationship with a, a seasoned servant who can give advice and questions and help balance you out in ways where you need to be balanced. Okay, it's good that you got this hobby horse, but wait a minute, there's more to see here. That, that's vital. Uh, and so whether one's a, a student with CBTS or not, have a, a good mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the advantages of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary is it, it does have a mentoring program. And for MDiv students or those who are going for a Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies, they actually have to have a mentor uh, to work with them. And again, that is very important. I'm happy to give a plug for uh, CBTS and that connection because they recognize it's not just having your head full of knowledge mm -hmm. and it's not just your own private walk with the Lord, as, as vital as that is but having someone there alongside you to ask questions, to be given direction, and to be put in your place now and again, all of that is very, very important. So, Good. Thankful for both of you men speaking to this and uh, the opportunities that you get to be mentors to uh, the men in your churches and uh, even perhaps CBTS mentors and on this show informally uh, often speaking to things that uh, can encourage and instruct in pastoral theology and pastoral ministry so uh, praise God for the gift that he's given uh, to his church and both of you men and uh, thank you for speaking on this subject uh, we do continue to uh, ask and request that you submit your questions to pastors inbox at cbtseminary.org if you have any questions related to pastoral theology, pastoral ministry, uh, biblical spirituality, or theological mentorship. And uh, we encourage you to do that. We thank you for listening and we wish you grace and peace.